Oh, hello, class. People of the world, welcome to Marketing as a Foreign Language, the eighth most interesting show about marketing. We are live, as in so live right now. Has Facebook peaked? Maybe. We'll get into it. New warnings from Twitter, from social media today. We'll get into why people are leaving that particular platform. They're fed up. They're over it. No, The Rise of Skywalker is not in theaters, even though you may have seen an ad for it recently. What is a nano-influencer? We'll get right into that. And uh, yeah, Parler is trying to have a free speech platform, but uh, turns out that's a little tricky. We'll dive in. Show starts now. So has Facebook peaked? Uh, according to 247wallstreet.com, we're wondering if the ad revenue of Facebook has peaked. Ad revenues grew by 22% year over year in the third quarter, but the company warned its earnings in its earnings release that growth may slow next year. Not surprising. Certainly, according to the article, the stay-at-home mandates due to the COVID-19 pandemic played a big role in the ad spending surge in the quarter, but that surge is likely to continue as the spread of coronavirus may be reduced next year by vaccines that could lead to a permanent reopening of the economy. Oh, please, 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 please let us get back to normal. So Facebook has experienced massive growth for many, many years, as we are all very aware. Um, Google ads have been dominant, Bing ads nowhere close. Um, YouTube ads are very strong. Um, Facebook remains to be uh, one of the only platforms where they have so much data about you, right? Google doesn't have the same amount of data. They might have age and sort of interest, that sort of thing. YouTube um, is getting much better because they really know if you're signed in, what your interests are based on the videos you watch, how often you watch them. They definitely recommend videos that are similar to what you've already watched. And so you very much dive into a, an echo chamber almost immediately with YouTube. Facebook, similar. They're looking for what gets you to stick on the platform. Um, if you've seen the show, The Social Dilemma, you know that um, they're very good at it. So in regards to ad revenue, the question is, do Facebook ads convert? Um, personally, I'm not a big fan of Facebook. Um, I don't really like going on the platform too much. It's not for me. I'm not the target demographic, but there are obviously tons of users that find the platform very interesting, very engaging, very fantastic. So Facebook, um, as far as I can tell, um, has no competitor. Google ads, totally different ballpark, right? So if you're a personal injury attorney, you, know, you want to reach someone who just got in a car accident, Google and, Google and um, search SEO, as in organic rankings and pay-per-click are going to be your best options. I don't think having a Facebook ad saying, hey, you know, I'm the best personal injury attorney um, is probably the best way that you're going to convert um, unless you've got a ton of money and you're just looking to brand. But by and large, uh, local businesses are looking for the person looking specifically for what they want to buy in that moment. That's Google. Facebook um, is an incredible platform to get people aware of you if you are an unknown so it's a good way to do that because it's basically a radio ad. If you want to, you know, take an antiquated example, um, that's micro-targeted, right? So you can still try to convert, um, but you're really just raising awareness that you exist. And if you're very good at advertising, you drive them to a landing page that can convert on the spot. 
So as far as I can tell, uh, Facebook's really just getting started, even though their total number of users might decline. I still think that the ad revenue is going to be really strong for them for quite a long time. But let's see what the article has to say. They're saying the impact on Facebook's ad revenues may not become apparent until the third quarter of next year. So we'll see. Given the recent resurgence of COVID-19 infections and the relatively easy year-over-year -year comparisons, the company's revenue totals have to challenge in the first and second quarters of 2021. Uh, once the economy gets rolling again and people are not tethered to their computers and smartphones, will ad spending be cut back or shifted back into TV and even newspapers? No. Obviously, no. That is a really easy question to answer. Um, I think that... Uh, TV ads are ridiculous. I think the number of people cutting the cord has uh, grown substantially, which is to say they don't have cable anymore. Um, people are now basically paying the same thing for like Disney Plus, Hulu, HBO, and Netflix, right? We, we've just transferred that money from one spot to another. YouTube Premium is another example of a place um, that's getting a lot of love. Back to the article, third quarter revenues grew by more than 50% at both Snapchat and Pinterest. Not surprising at all that these platforms are uh, absolutely killing it. Twitter boosted its ad, ad revenue by 15% year over year in the third quarter, and Amazon's revenue in its other category uh, rose by 51%, which includes ad revenue. So we're seeing massive jumps at Snapchat and Pinterest. You could make the argument that just everyone's winning right now um, in regards to social media platforms, because obviously everyone's spending so much time at home, they're not on work computers. Um, they feel as though they can be on social more and it's not, they're not gonna get caught, that sort of thing. Um, I think that a number of the jobs that were in offices are going to stay at home. I think there's gonna be a lot less monitoring of the work that people are doing. There's gonna be more autonomy. And if you really wanna talk about freedom, I really think people are going to be experiencing a lot more freedom, freedom nowadays uh, than ever before. So what does that mean for Facebook ad revenue? I would argue that Snapchat and Pinterest, some of these other players are going to see larger jumps and they're going to compete. And let's not forget that the Facebook demographic is aging. Snapchat, TikTok, they're just getting started. We covered um, a, a user, uh, first user in TikTok who got 100 million followers. So these platforms, they're going to take over the question that I think is um, perhaps the most important is, will Facebook be able to acquire some of these other platforms, so in Walmart that tried to acquire it. I think the government is going to simply say, no, you're not allowed to. I think Facebook will eventually age out, but we're not there yet. The demographic isn't there yet. The user numbers, as far as I can tell, don't support it and the ad revenue uh, doesn't support it. So I'm still bullish on Facebook, even though at times I, uh, I question that. I wonder if Facebook has peaked. Obviously, crystal balls are hard to come by. Back to the article, the company's other choice is to limit space and raise ad prices. Um, so Facebook already has increased the number of ads it shows on its two major platforms by an average of 30% year over year since the third quarter in 2015. So this, this to me is sort of a sign that, you know, people might be leaving because the quality dips. Um, you can make the same article about Twitter where they're getting a lot of uh, users are getting a lot of warning labels. You'll see this um, in a slide that's coming up and uh, people are sick of it. They want to find a new platform. As I've mentioned before, the different platforms um, are not that technologically different. You know, Parler is not all that different from Twitter is not all that different from Facebook is not all that different from Instagram, TikTok, etc. So 
what we're talking about is different cultures. So um, would I sell all my Facebook stock right now? No, I would not. Um, but uh, I think the, the years of massive growth for Facebook may be behind it. New warnings from Twitter, as we just mentioned, um, after seeing success with its warning pop-ups, according to socialmediatoday.com, when users attempt to retweet a tweet that includes a disputed claim. Twitter is now expanding those warnings to include likes of disputed tweets. This is going to make some people thrilled and it's going to make some people absolutely livid. So Twitter's not always gonna get this right. And if they're right 98% of the time, you're still gonna have, given just the massive number of tweets that go out every day, um, a large subsection that is just irritated by Twitter before you would just do it. You would just send it, you'd like it, whatever. And now if there's a tweet that let's say is mostly inaccurate or let's say Twitter just gets it wrong and you are a fervent activist, you know, for this particular whatever um, idea and you hit the like button and Twitter says to you, you know, actually uh, that's a, uh, that's not right. You get a little warning saying, yeah, you know, this is actually misinformation. That would drive you absolutely crazy. Now, does that fury, that righteous indignation that you feel in that moment, does that drive you to use Twitter more? Perhaps, you know, that sort of dopamine, serotonin, fight or flight, chemical reaction in the brain might drive you to use the platform more. However, um, I could definitely see a number of people saying, you know what, I'm done. I'm over it. Um, I don't want to be babysat. And then they move on to some other platform because there are plenty of options. There are more options now, as far as I can tell, that are legitimate um, that you can go spend your time on. Uh, Reddit, Snapchat, LinkedIn, YouTube, um, Pinterest, um, Instagram. I'm obviously missing some. Facebook, um, etc. So there you go. Um, so new warning labels. According to the article, when you go to like a tweet, which has already been labeled as including potentially keyword there, false information, you'll get a prompt asking whether you really want to go through with that action. So it's a small thing, but again, the volume of Twitter is really going to dictate um, whether or not their users grow or shrink. And you know what, it's one thing to say that Twitter's users should always be growing. And you know, I make it seem like unless Twitter continues to grow, it would be the end of the world. But the reality is that, you know, if they are stopping the spread of misinformation, they're going to have more loyal followers. Um, people that really appreciate the platform. So that's not something I cover as much and probably should, which is that Twitter is stemming the tide of BS on the internet. And that's important. And they should be, uh, you know, commended for doing so. Good for them. Um, that being said, they're not always gonna get this right. So back to the article, giving context on why a labeled tweet is misleading under our election, COVID-19 and synthetic and manipulated media rules is vital. These prompts helped decrease, quote, tweets of misleading misinformation by 29%. So we're expanding them to show when you tap to like a labeled tweet. So Twitter explains there. That added friction could get more users to reconsider sharing potentially false information. And while likes are not as directly connected to redistribution as retweets and shares, Twitter's algorithm is influenced by like activity. If you like a tweet, for example, it's going right, to be shown to more people. We get that. So good for you, Twitter. You know, um, is this uh, is this the perfect panacea that's going to solve all problems? No, um, but uh, Twitter and Facebook have to be the adults in the room because they are simply too powerful. No, the rise of Skywalker is not in theaters. Perhaps 
you've been on YouTube lately and perhaps you've seen a, an, an advertisement for the rise of Skywalker coming out in December. Uh, no, you are not going back in time. Um, this is from Snopes.com. There's a voiceover in the 15 second video ad begins with this Christmas and ended by saying tickets available now with December 20th displayed as the release date. Some of the fans were confused, obviously. So no, it's not rising again in movie theaters. Um, the resurgence of the Star Wars Episode Six uh, YouTube ads. Um, is that nine? Episode nine? I don't even know. YouTube ads appeared to be a mistake. It's nine. While the reason for the 2019 ads reappearing in 2020 is unknown, it is possible that in 2019 some YouTube ads uh, for the film are scheduled to run in the wrong year. Yeesh. So this is one of those things where you have a major corporation making a big mistake. Everyone sees it because it was for a big movie. But you got to wonder, um, if you are hiring a company to run your ads, you really have no idea, you know, unless you go into the back end where those ads are being served. Um, how would you know as a business owner or an entrepreneur or even the person that running the pay-per-click, unless you're keeping eyes on it, um, that these mistakes are happening? So it's a good reminder to go back through your pay-per-click, go back through the ads from time to time and look for errors. Scan for errors because sometimes um, unlike major movie advertisements they are not as visible and you don't have the community to come out and say uh you made a mistake there what is a nano influencer great question builtin.com explains <clears throat> Dwayne Johnson makes a million dollars every time he publishes a sponsored post on Instagram for his 200 million followers to see are you kidding me dude Recently, he shared a photo of wireless earbuds, and it got 1.8 million likes. A massive number, no question, but it amounts to less than 1% of his follower count. Compare that with Gabby Whiten, a nano-influencer and PhD student at New York University, who shared a sponsored photo of dish soap with her then 3,000 Instagram followers. Her post got more than 300 likes, around 10% engagement. For dish soap. Whiten told HuffPost her pay rate around that time for creating one Instagram feed post uh, was $145 plus a $120 gift card. So this is why marketers enjoy working with, with nano influencers. So um, one of the folks that works at Send It Rising uh, has a blog called chilliwanders.com. She's been paid to go to random cities in the Midwest to stay at hotels, write reviews. Um, she is, uh, I would argue, a nano influencer. Um, you know, the, it's easy to look at the Dwayne Johnsons of the world, the rock stars of the world, the politicians of the world, and say, ah, these are the influencers. Um, but uh, as is anything, there's a bell curve here. And when you get a little bit north uh, on the positive side of the bell curve, you will find that there are people um, with good followers, good followings, um, people that are willing to take your money to promote a product, um, 100 bucks, 200 bucks, 300 bucks, that sort of thing. So that really, to me, is a much better conversation about what an influencer is um, than, uh, than thinking about celebrities only. So a nano influencer would be like a Shilly Wanders, um, a local, it's a good example, like a local uh, baseball player might be a good influencer, pays for like a B-League. Um, you know, they can help you sell baseball bats at your local whatever. Uh, retail shop. Um, another example could be someone who um, has a good Instagram page for pets. They have all sorts of different pets. 
local pet store could collaborate with them. There's just a million different ways where you could work with a nano influencer and actually stay within budget, a couple hundred bucks. And then you could develop a relationship with them over time. And before you know it, um, there you go. So this is a big deal. This nano influencing, this micro influencing, and it is something to keep in mind. Parlors no banning policy. That may be a little bit of a clickbaity title. Uh, according to newsweek.com, it says Gingrich defends parlor after concerns are raised over platforms. Uh, the platform's not banning policy. I'm not sure if it's exactly that, but let's dive in. So according to the article, Newt Gingrich, former Speaker of the House, uh, defended Parler on Twitter today. Parler, of course, being the conservative social media platform. And yes, it is the conservative social media platform, as far as I can tell. The social media platform then describes itself as a place where people can speak freely and express yourselves openly without fear of being deplatformed for your views. They've faced criticism post-election for becoming a safe haven for those still um, assuming that Trump has won. Uh, the news media used to used to defend freedom of speech as an essential um, as essential to maintaining our republic. Now the idea that conservatives can speak freely on Parler is a threat to democracy, uh, said Gingrich. And he also attached an article from Politico. Da, 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 da. Okay, so uh, Parler is going to become, if it is not already, um, like a safe space for anything. Now it happens to be a very right-leaning um, platform, and so you've got you know MAGA supporters, QAnon people, all this sort of stuff um, on the platform. And again, it is a natural reflection of some of the policies we're seeing with Facebook and Twitter. It's also a natural reflection of this post-election world. Um, if I recall correctly, they jumped from 500,000 followers to four million. Um, in an article I looked at recently, uh, there are more small business owners that lean to the right by like 10%, something like that. Um, so while you may disagree or agree with um, some of the opinions being voiced on Parler, it is something to consider for marketing. Um, it may become kind of the next big platform, a platform that's like anything goes, you do you, whatever, kind of this laissez-faire um, we're not going to tell you what to think platform. Now, you could look at Twitter and you could go, okay, you are not necessarily censoring the vast majority of posts. Obviously, it's a very small amount, but you're adding these little warning labels, kind of kind of ticky tack, you know, like don't do this, don't like before you retweet this, you should do this, that sort of mentality, which is going to make a lot of Twitter users very happy. And then you've got folks over at Parler, just do whatever you want. That sort of vibe I think um, is going to gain a lot of traction um, over the next few years. So I'm very bullish on Parler growing, uh, maintaining their growth. Now, there are funny articles from like the Wall Street Journal and, uh, or the Washington Post where they talk about people complaining about Twitter rules on Twitter. So I get that there's a certain level of hypocrisy of like a Parler user who's still on Twitter talking about how ridiculous Twitter is. I get that. But you can't argue with the half million to four million uh, user growth of Parler recently post-election. Um, and I just really think that they're going to grow pretty massively because the internet um, is dying for this kind of do-whatever-you-want platform, especially in lieu of Jack Dorsey, Zuckerberg, in front of Congress and everything that's been going on recently there. Okay, um, let's summarize. So has Facebook peaked? I don't think so. Um, but uh, I don't think we're going to see massive growth either. New York, uh, New warnings from Twitter. Yeah. The flood continues of Twitter saying, don't do this, do this, don't do that, do this. 
again, going to make some people happy, going to infuriate others. Uh, Skywalker ad on YouTube just goes to show mistakes happen all the time in pay-per-click. What's a nano influencer? Something you should probably consider, something I should consider, trying to find a good partnership with a nano influencer in space related to ours. Um, obviously, send it rising internet, mar internet marketing. Parlor's no banning policy. Um, I'm, I think they're just going to grow huge. Um, my name is Kellen Kautzman. I own Send It Rising Internet Marketing. If you have any questions about internet marketing, SEO, web development, that sort of stuff, we do all of that and more. You can shoot us an email, info, that's info at senditrising.com, uh, info at s-e-n-d-i-t-r-i-s-i-n-g.com. You give us a ring, 702-263-0141. Again, 702-263-0141. I would love it if you join us for the live show, 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. You can chat and leave whatever questions or comments you like. If you're listening to us on the podcast after the fact, or if uh, you're watching us on YouTube after the live show has occurred, please do leave a comment. It helps with the algorithm. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the show for today. Thank you so much for swinging on by. Class dismissed. <laughs>